I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. The noon hour is here. Check it out. And you're locked on to Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports radio station. It's my station. It's my station. This is, this is, this is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. So this is where we're, how we're going to start today. This is how we're going to kick things off. Hands and Scotty, 97.5 DKSL Sports Zone. Yes, I am in Vegas. I will be back tomorrow. Who's the big I, winner? Scotty's the big winner. Because I care so much about the radio show. I'm taking a 6 a.m. fly, getting in at 8.30, have a 9 a.m., 10 a.m. meeting. But doggone it, tomorrow at high noon, I will be live on the radio because I don't mess around with the show. It's commitment, baby. That is commitment. A lot of hashtag grinding going on here, but. <laughs> you doing all right, buddy? Doing great. Good. Yeah, can't complain. The grasp of Vegas hasn't pulled you too deep, huh? No, no. I'm I'm too old for that nonsense now. I sit in my hotel room. I stream that Netflix show that Lloyd told us to watch, that golfing full swing thing, which is awesome, by the way. Yeah. Great recommendation. And um, yeah, so yeah, that's uh, that's about how I how I roll in Vegas now. How is the armpit of America? Uh, it is. Um, let's see. There was a little restaurant down that I was told, like, hey, you know, there's a there's a little cafe in the corner of the hotel here that will be pretty reasonable because I was complaining about the prices of everything. So this morning I went down and I had a little breakfast. At Lloyd, you like this? Had a little eggs Benedict. Um, no juice, no soda, just water. Uh, the final bill was $24. <laughs> what? Yeah. What? What kind of meat did you have on the egg? Doesn't that just come with ham? It looked like, yeah, like somebody layered a couple slices of that Carl Budding ham that oh, you get geez. at the restaurant or at the grocery store. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm not happy. And then a couple of poached eggs. A couple of poached eggs. Hollandaise sauce was nice. You know, it was it was fine. It was okay. It was a good fourteen dollar eggs Benedict, not a twenty four dollar eggs Benedict. And you know you're in trouble when you go to a place and they don't have the prices on the menu. Yep. Like that should have that should have tipped me off right there. But I was told like, oh no, this this place is pretty reasonable. You like it down there. That's insane. 
That's insane. Things are good here, Scotty. We're we're all just locked and loaded, ready to go. I uh, was listening to Jake and Ben on the drive-in, and I I had actually yesterday after the show and going into that Jazz game against San Antonio last night, I started to kind of reassess and reevaluate my standing and my opinion on where where the Jazz are in this season, the decisions that they've made to this point. And they're, they're kind of their winning run that they've had up until last night where they lost uh, to San Antonio for the first time in a few games. Um, I just was putting together some thoughts last night about where they're standing and, and what they've done to this point. And as much as I've enjoyed watching them win and as much as we've said, you know what, at this point, just throw your hands up and say, hey, let it go. I've actually had to reevaluate my opinion and I kind of have a different standing. And, oh, really? Yeah, and I kind of disagree with what the Jazz have done in their wins and losses to this point. So I'd, I'd love to kind of throw, I really, throw I really, my opinion at you and, you, and see what you think. You and I have not had a chance to talk yet this morning. And so I actually thought when you were leading down this path a little bit, you were going to say, you know what, I'm on board now. But you've gone the other direction, huh? Uh, yeah, in fact, digging my feet in on it. I love bit. it. Good yeah. for you, man. Yep. That's awesome. Well, hey, let's get to it. Starting lineup right now, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. This is Hanson Scotty G. Let's go. The lineup is set, and it's time to kick off the show with the biggest topic of the day. This is the starting lineup on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Starting lineup brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air, home of the award-winning line of America's Standard Furnaces and Air Conditioners. Call Lee's right now for their $59 furnace tune-up. Visit them online at leesheatac.com. That's leesheatac.com. Hans, I know you're big fans of them. They've helped you out. Oh, yeah. And uh, I've got some work coming up that I will be using them for, too, as well. So fired up to uh, get to know Lee's a little bit more as well. Well, they're the best in the business. Give them a call, 747-LEES, if you need anything in the... Heating and air conditioning. I feel like my furnace is like, um, you know, like uh, when you're running conditioning in high school and you're like, I, I only have those 10 yards left to go yeah. and, I, and I'll get there and I'll get there. The practice will be over. I think my furnace is like, I just see 10 yards left till April. Like I just got to get there because it, it, it's, it's making some funky noises and it sounds like it's on its last laugh. How's your water heater doing? <laughs> Let's just say. Because they can uh, help you with that too. Uh, yeah, uh, that is actually my number one priority because, and I kid you, no joke, I, I, I've, I had somebody come in and take a look at it. They verified it as well. The, the manufacturing, that sucker was, uh, built and installed in my home the year after Robbie Bosco won a national championship at BYU. Ooh. 1985, everybody. That, <laughs> that's how long my water heater has been in my house. <laughs> Lee's is going to definitely come in, take a look at that dinosaur put it in the smithsonian yeah find a way to maybe even look at it and say how did something last this long how did it last this long well you know how i know it didn't last that long is the weekly or yearly tune-ups and all that stuff that you're supposed to do to your water heater because i have not touched that thing since i moved in six years ago insane well scotty i've really taken a deep dive on this and i'm sure that this is going to rub a lot of people the wrong way and i certainly don't mean to ruffle feathers and i think everybody can feel have their own opinion on it and it has been fun watching the utah jazz be close to to 500 they're 31 and 32 after last night's loss to san antonio but the more i thought about this 
and this upcoming draft, it's a little bit more unique than just a 14% chance at the number one pick with the worst record. Because at no point in <clears throat> leading up to this season did you or I call for the worst record. We called for the bottom three record. Yeah. And if you couldn't get the bottom three record, get the bottom four record because that's still 12%. And if you couldn't get the bottom four record, get the bottom five record. But do everything you can to get the best odds you can in this draft. And I, I know that the discussion out there for everybody is, hence, it's still only 14% at the number one pick. So, Scotty, I'm going to throw this analogy out there for people to try to make sense of where I'm coming from. As our country's lottery builds and it gets to $800 million, it yeah. goes from $800 million into the billions really quick. Why? Because you stand to gain so much if you win it. So everybody, even in the non-lottery states, Utahns, flood across the border so that they can buy this lottery ticket. People that love to play the lottery buy multiple lottery tickets. And then it gets to the $1.2 billion and the $1.4 billion. And when it gets up to there, you know that somebody's going to win it. Why do you know somebody's going to win it? Because everybody leverages into it hoping to win it. Everybody does, goes the extra mile to win it because it's $1.4 billion. It's a unique lottery. Yeah. Why don't I buy a typical lottery ticket? Because uh, you know, $200 million and my odds, yeah, it's, it's nothing. $400 million, my odds, it's, it's nothing. My odds are the same at $1.2 billion, but it's something about $1.2 billion that gets us in our car to jump the border and buy a ticket. That's this draft. It's unique. And it's not about the worst record. It's about being one of the bottom three records. San Antonio's not fighting for the worst record. They're fighting to be a bottom three record. Houston's not fighting for the worst record. They're trying to ensure that they're a bottom three record. And all three of them are trying to push to be the bottom three, and at the very minimum, the bottom four. Detroit, Houston, and San Antonio are pretty much unmatched at that point. Yeah, They've got about a five-game lead on the, the next closest which is Charlotte, which would have the fourth worst record at 20 wins. Why would Charlotte continue to lose? And I I know that they've got a budding superstar, but they want a chance at it. So I'm hoping everybody's bearing with me and not yelling at their radio. So then I started thinking, is it really just about getting the 14% chance? In the Jazz current situation, about... I don't know, two months in, as we started to learn that Walker Kessler was going to be the next big thing for the Utah Jazz. And as we started to learn that Lowry Markinen was going to be an all-star, we also started to learn that Scoot Henderson may be as valuable to this team as Victor Wembanyama, the two big names that are coming up in this draft which then increased the odds of getting the piece that is the organizational transformation. That, that can put it all over the top. So n- you're not just fighting for the number one, and you're not just fighting for the number two. There's four or five guys in this draft that they believe can be deal make or, or deal changers. So 
I'm looking at what the Jazz are doing in this very unique draft. And maybe they both burn out. Maybe they both don't make a dent in the NBA. That absolutely could be the case. Or maybe they are the organizational changers that they've been billed to be. But as I've watched the Utah Jazz continue to win and do it post-trade deadline and do it post-All-Star break, knowing what they need and how much a scoot or a victor or or that other piece could really help while they're loaded with three first-round draft picks, I'm pretty shocked to see the Jazz do what they've done, which is continue to put the talent on the court and continue to win. And I know people are going to ask me, well, Hans, what could you have done to ensure it? Well, you could have used more assets or made more moves at the trade deadline to get a Jordan Clarkson off the roster because Jordan's been a difference maker. Yeah, and Jordan's probably going to be gone anyway in the free agency that, too. That and that—that's what all of our full expectation is. Yeah. So move him out so you stop winning. And I talked. To, we talked with David Locke yesterday, and I subtly hinted at to David: Are we going to see people sit in an opportunity to manipulate whatever it is, whether they're just trying to get the youth opportunity on the court, which we've had a chance to see a few times, or if it isn't an effort. To, to improve your draft situation. And yeah. and David was, you know, m- m- pretty dismissive of both, but was at least accepting of the, we'll get youth on the court. And it, it still remains a question to me. This isn't your everyday ordinary draft that's coming up. In my assessment, from all the things I read, the people that I talk to, we may be headed for the biggest draft in NBA history. Which could lead to the biggest NBA draft bust in NBA history. Absolutely, it could. But in a season now where we're watching the Utah Jazz, they'll maybe get the play-in opportunity. They might have one game in the postseason as the 10 seed where they lose to, let's say it's Dallas Mavericks or the Los Angeles Clippers, and they're bumped, and they're, all their lottery positioning changes. Maybe... That's what we're headed towards. So you're going to risk it all and you're going to push for wins to get one game in a playing situation? Or let's say you win and you get into the eighth seed and you face the Denver Nuggets in the first round. Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray are going to bury you. It's going to be a 4-0 sweep. And you sacrificed a potential shot at not just one, but a couple of positions in a historic NBA draft so you could get some wins? I I guess, Scotty, as I've dug more deep into how big this upcoming draft is, and, and it's not just about the one or the two or even the three, but getting those top four spots to give you at least 14% in the bottom three and 12% in the in the fourth, which would dramatically increase your opportunity to get one of the two guys that could be organizational changers. And it might be Scoot that's the fit with Lowry and Walker and not so much Victor, even though you would take Victor if you had the one pick, I would believe. Oh, yeah. I guess I'm just looking at it and saying, you know what? No, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not appreciating the, the wins as much as maybe I should. And I, I'm less accepting of it because I would have loved to cover this year's draft knowing that the Jazz snuck out the number two overall pick 
it would have been more impactful to me than saying, well, the Jazz are at 500 with 18 games left in the season, and who knows what could happen. <laughs> I know what is going to happen. Yeah. But I don't know what could have happened in the lottery. All I know is improving your positioning, giving yourself the most ping-pong balls possible, probably would have been the better decision than continuing to win. And I, I know you can't ask them to lose, but you can make switches and changes and positional moves in, in an attempt to subtly do it. The great pop is sinking and tanking right now. San Antonio, you, you would never expect something like that from San Antonio, even though we did see it uh, with Tim Duncan, and we have seen it in the past. I think that the the, the intelligent move for the Utah Jazz would have been to be 15 and 48 right now, yeah. 15 and 47. So I'm not sure, Hans, that the Jazz aren't subtly trying to do this. Like, I, I know that um, I will say these next three weeks are going to be really um, are going to be really important to watch, uh, especially the six game road trip coming up. So I, I will say go back and look at that game last night. And look at some of the lineups that the Jazz threw out on the court. In particular, look at that third quarter. Um, I think the Jazz are very keenly aware of this. They've got a tight line to walk. And I know that you're not in a situation now where you're in the Scoot or Victor sweepstakes. Those are in the rearview mirror. Um, but when you really look at it, I think there are probably five to six franchise players in this upcoming NBA draft. Everybody wants to focus on Scoot and 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 for good reason and, and Victor for good reason. But I think your number now needs to be top six. You need to be in the top six uh, of the NBA draft. And I think that the Jazz maybe very quietly might recognize that as well. And again, it's a tight line to walk. You don't, Nobody can actually go to the media and say, well, yeah, you know, we were up by 10 in the second quarter and well, doggone, we need to lose this game, and so we're going to uh, we're going to maneuver some things around. And uh, really wanted to make sure that, uh, that the Spurs could go on a big run there in the third quarter and really pull away and, and end up winning this game. But I do think that the Jazz are aware of it. I do think that it may not be overly blatant. I do think that there will be some slight, I don't know, manipulation isn't the right word, but I do think that there's going to be um, an opportunity for the Jazz to put themselves in a situation right now where they can find a way to get top six. You've already proven what Larry Marketing can do. You've proven to a certain extent what Colin Sexton can do. We all know what Jordan Clarkson can do. Um, but I do think that it will – I think you'll see some funky lineups out there from time to time. It wouldn't surprise me to see that the Jazz are bought into what you're saying right now and will very quietly do some things to put themselves in a situation to be top six. Mm. Right now, they, they are the 13th worst record in the NBA. Got some work to do. It's funny that you talk about being in the, the top six because they were talking about, I mean, obviously, if they win that game against the Spurs and some other things go their way, they would have been like the sixth seed. There's a chance of them being sliding into the sixth seed. Yeah. That was just last night. Yeah, and it, and it feels like, there, obviously, it feels like there's still a possibility of that, even though, as Scotty mentioned, some of the lineups and the usage of even Johnny Juzang or uh Fontecchio it's it, it's it's clear that they feel a sense of it and that they are trying some of these young guys and and maybe trying but I'm going to tell you it's too late for that sweepstakes so Scotty conspiracy theory I get it 
This is just me thinking outside of the box in regard to Danny Ainge. There's a part of me that wonders if Danny has identified the talent in particular that he wants. Yeah. And understands it's not going to be Victor or Scoot unless there's some stroke of luck that would just be beyond and above. So I wonder to a certain degree if he's identified this talent or has a really good sense of this talent and knows with his three picks available if he has to move to it or if that talent is falling or wherever it's positioned, whether it's in that five or that six or that seven, that he's got the assets available that he doesn't need the lottery necessary to hit his pick, but he's got the picks to hit his pick because he knows that this guy maybe be maybe is slightly under the radar or but I, I there's a part of me that watching what the Jazz have done post trade deadline and post NBA All Star. There's a part of me that wonders, did Danny Ainge identify the guy and knows he's got the pieces to make the moves if this guy falls or if he starts to rise in stock, knowing that it isn't one of the top two or maybe even top three? Um, I Honestly, Hans, yes. Uh, that would be my guess. And again, that's just speculation on my part. But I think that Danny Ainge in that front office and throw Justin Zanuck in, the, in there as well. I think they've identified the top players that they want on this team. Remember, you go back to that 2017 NBA draft. You know, Boston has the number one overall pick, and they trade back because Danny Ainge goes, "No, Jason Tatum's the guy I want. I can get him at third. I can get him at three, and I can back up two spots, get the guy I want, and continue to add assets." And Philadelphia's like, "Sure, let's take Markel Fultz." Lonzo Ball goes two, and there's Jason Tatum, the guy that Boston wanted all along right there available for them at three because they knew that uh, he would fall there. They knew they could drop back. They knew they could get assets. Like, I, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be blowing smoke, uh, you know, with Danny Ainge, but I think the dude is certainly, it's like Kyle Whittingham recruiting uh, defensive players. Like, you just go like, all right, I trust that you know what you're doing, and let's go. And, no, I do think this team has overachieved, though. I do I do think even this team has exceeded the expectations that Danny Ainge has had for them. However, I do think the Jazz are going to hopefully, because I agree with you 1,000% hands, I do hope that they will manipulate things a little bit down the stretch to ensure that they're at least in the top six or seven in the draft. Hmm. And that's going to be a lot of work. You're right. They're behind the eight ball already in a big way. All right, Hans and Scotty, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Coming up next, Dennis Dodd will join us. We'll try to get some answers on the Pac-12 media deal when we come back right here on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. This is this is DJ and PK. Welcome to Cam Miller, Senior Director of College Football Network and NFL Draft for the Pro Football Network. As far as Dalton Kincaid goes, the Utah tight end, it seems like just from reading stuff that I've seen out there, his stock is just soaring. Soaring and tight end one is his ceiling. And I, I think, honestly, him, Luke Musgrave, and then obviously Michael Mayer vying for that first round tight end spot. There might be two of them that go. I don't think that there is a comp for him specifically. I think you have to combine a few players. To me, I think you put him in a bucket of one of the more gifted tight ends immediately in terms of his pass catching ability in the NFL. I think one GM is going to fall in love with him, though, and he has a very, very strong chance to be that top tight end this year. 
Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10. Presented by Murdoch Hyundai, Utah's number one Hyundai dealer for 16 years in a row. On 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. You're locked on to Hans Solson and Scotty Chin. Chin, Chin. That's right, yeah! On 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Hanson Scotty 97.5 The KSL Sports Zone The great Dennis Dodd will join us coming up here momentarily I don't know if he is coming to praise the Pac-12 or to bury the Pac-12 I'm not exactly sure where he's at right now Um, I do know there's a lot of concern I do know that there's a lot of bad press out there I'm just having a hard time trying to wrap my brain around what is actually truth and what is actually just conjecture at this point. We'll find out. Dennis has got his pol- got his finger on the pulse, and we'll we'll find out exactly where where we're at. Hands. I can't imagine that you know two weeks from now the Pac-12 will be like sorry I couldn't get a deal done. We're shutting it all down, and everybody's leaving. But who knows? Maybe. I'm actually just going over a couple of the more recent articles that he's put out there. And the one that he did yesterday, former Pac-12 coach is concerned about league's future amid ongoing issues. And here's the quote. They're teetering on the brink. Some really tough stuff to go through. I'm sure that Utah fans are following this really close. Scotty, this means a lot to you and I. Oh, yeah. Because I think one of the greatest days we've had in – sports radio history here in Salt Lake is the opportunity to announce that the University of Utah was headed to the Pac-12 and all the excitement that came with it, and the financial projections that came with it, and then all the fun that's come with it in the 11 seasons. It's been incredible, especially this last couple as the Utes have won the conference and had a shot at the Rose Bowl. It's been incredible, and the fact that that would be altered and tampered with because USC and UCLA, it makes me sick. It makes Utah fans sick. It puts blood in the water for BYU fans. So, you know, they're after Utah because they feel like they took a, a real beating over those years as an independent. Now, BYU feels satisfied and safe with the Big 12. And so they're coming after him. And it's just a really tough spot for Utah fans to be in. So excited to catch up with Dennis Dodd and just get some of his thoughts and his angles on what the likelihood is that this conference exists and continues forward. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's just such an ugly situation. And and I think that 
Um, the Big 12 jumping the gun, getting the negotiations early, being able to secure something before the Pac-12. Um, it's just, again, I want to wait and hold judgment until George Golovkov says, all right, this is what we got, here's our deal, and then we judge him based on that. I hate judging a guy on something that hasn't been announced yet. But it does feel like Brett Yormark in the Big 12 has just been stacking win after win after win and edging out the Pac-12 at every angle. And that's just how it appears right now. Um, and I know that there's some some concerns inside that University of Utah, Utah Athletic Department. I know there's a lot of concern within the University of Utah with boosters and members of that fan base. And I just I keep holding out saying, all right, let's see what he's got. Let's see what the Pac-12's got. Before, before we start to judge and, and send people to the guillotine and start looking for blood, give me the number, give me what, what you're looking at, and then let's judge from there. And I think that's what a lot of presidents and athletic directors are sitting back saying, okay, yeah, the PR is not great right now. It doesn't look good, but let's see what that final number is, and then we'll judge accordingly. And so I'm trying to hold out. I'm trying to hold out because I'm with you, man. I love this conference. I've loved covering the conference. I've loved everything about uh, the pageantry of the of the conference. And I think it's been so great for many years for Salt Lake City to say that this is a Power Five conference city and to cover com- you know Power Five football. But I mean, now it feels like the tide has turned, and this I don't know, man. It looks like a scrap heap right now. But we'll have to wait and see. Can you imagine? being one of the presidents or being anybody in negotiation or responsible for negotiation when USC made that decision. Oh, boy. I feel like we all understood the ripple effect of it at the time of the announcement, but actually going through it, grasping it, having to deal with the fallout of it is a whole other thing. You know, and, and I... I can't. I really can't think of anything else to really compare it to. I've never been through a divorce, and my parents never went through a divorce. And divorce is heinous. But if you were to compare the USC divorcing from the Pac-12, it, when the parents divorce and go their opposite ways, you, you know the announcement and the decision would be shocking. But then having to deal with all of the fallout of it. You know, whether you're a kid having to move homes or you're an ex-wife that is not getting the financial compensation that, that you need or you know, it's the hopes and the dreams that continue to fall apart and you don't see each other on a daily basis. And that's where we're at right now in this USC Pac-12 decision. We're all dealing with the fallout of this divorce and it is miserable. It feels criminal. It feels criminal because it was in the middle of the night. And I would imagine USC didn't, maybe they didn't have another option of how to proceed to the Big Ten. And I'm leaving UCLA on purpose because I think that they were just a side product. I think that they were just, uh, you know. Oh, yeah. They were the. uh, Right place, right time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They they were the, the person that was, that maybe USC was cheating with. Like that, they just get to go with USC and they get to enjoy the spoils of the Big Ten. But USC is the one that made the decision. And these decisions have real fallout. These decisions have terrible outcomes sometimes. And I'm looking at this thing thinking, I I knew it was going to be hard. I didn't think it would 
tear the league apart. But the more I'm sitting here looking at it, the more it's it's so damaging. But then, Scotty, there is even, and it's probably 55% of me, that still feels like the Pac-10, as they redevelop and stabilize, will probably move forward. There's, there's, there's still, it's a 50-plus percentage part of me that thinks that it's going to hold together. But the storylines have been really tough to deal with. Yeah. No, and that's the problem. It's just bad press. And if I'm Brett Yormark and I'm the Big 12, I'm leaking all kinds of great info like, hey, do you know that they're talking to ION? Have you even heard of ION before? Well, yeah, that's where they're thinking of parking their games. and uh, or, or, you know, any kind of bad press they can put out there to make it look bad. And, and I'm not saying Brett Yormark's doing that. I'm just saying that it would be really easy because everybody's just dying for every little block of information that they possibly can get. And, you know, I don't know how much of it's true. I don't know how much of it's bad information. But I do know that right now the optics are not good mm-hmm. for the Pac-12. And joining us now, one of the best out there when it comes to covering college uh, college football, Dennis Dodd, kind enough to carve out a few moments for us. Dennis, uh, how you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Very good. It's good we're to hear doing, from you. We're doing great. So, um, yeah, I don't. I don't know if we need to be playing taps for the Pac-12. I don't know if ultimately this thing's going to get done. But where's your confidence level with the Pac-12 and its long-term survival at this point? Yeah, I don't know. People people accuse me of wanting to kill the Pac-12. I think I'm just reflecting where it is right now. We're going into the ninth month of negotiations. I think it's at least in the industry, it's. It's kind of a consensus the Pac-12 is not going to get the number at once. And then you just start asking, who's in? I mean, they can sign a deal, but Oregon or Washington, are those four corner schools going to sign a grant of rights, which, which essentially binds it together? I mean, you can see the upheaval in the ACC right now. They've got a grant of rights for the next 13 years, and Florida State's threatening to leave. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to do it legally, but if that can be done, What's the Pac-12 going to do? So I suspect that they get a, a deal done and it will be super short because um, I don't think you can do a deal with an amended grant of rights where oh, Oregon or Washington, if you get a call from the Big Ten, then you can get out of the deal. I mean, you either have a deal or you don't, or you have a commitment or you don't. So that all that's up in the air. I don't, I don't want to see the Pac-12 go away. Uh, there's, you know, we all grew up watching those games, at least I did, with USC and UCLA, yes. But I think there's enough there to still be a viable conference. And it's a really good point, Dennis. As they're sitting down, George Klyavkov is trying to protect his entities, and he says to Oregon and Washington, I'm going to need you to sign your grant of rights away for this extended period. What, what, what do you mean by that? What percentage? And holding their feet to the fire in an attempt to connect them to the conference, I don't think you'll ever get that commitment in a grant of rights with Washington and Oregon. It feels like they would really push against that, doesn't it, Dennis? Yeah, yeah, and I don't, I don't know the answer to that, and that that may be what's finally the final thing holding this up. Um, I know for a fact that all those schools are keeping their options open. Those six that I mentioned, and, and, and why wouldn't they? Um, you know, if you've got a chance, Oregon or Washington in the Big Ten, um, if you're the four-corner school, you're going to listen to Brett Yormark because he's been fairly public about his interests and what the Big 12 can offer. Um, 
it, it would be a darn shame if, if the West Coast was split up. Uh, but I think it's, there's a larger story here, and I'm, I'm writing about it from the ACC perspective. We all saw last Friday the, uh, the Florida State AD basically threatened to leave the league unless they were paid more. Uh, and again, this is a league with an uh, ironclad contract for the next 13 years. Can't get out of it. No way. They said there's a way. They don't know what it is yet. But I think it's, it's a scramble to see who ends up in those top two or three conferences when the carousel stops spinning. Uh, and what that means, the, the only saving grace is that, at least for now, right now, we know that everybody has access to the expanded playoff. They're going to completely reconsider this in 26 when uh, the playoff is two years old, the expanded playoff is two years old, and the contract with ESPN expires. So I guess we should, you know, I guess we should um, assume that everybody has access, but all the power and the money is going to be in those two conferences, at least at the top. Dennis Dodd joining us right here on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. So, Dennis, um, it just – and, again, I want to wait till the Pac-12 releases their media deal, whatever it may look like, before we pass judgment. But it just feels like if you're going to – if you're going to stack wins and losses, it feels like Brett Yormark and the Big 12 are stacking a lot of wins right now and acing out the Pac-12. Is that is that a fair assessment to make right now? Yeah, oh, I no. No matter how this ends up, they, they got in line ahead of uh, ahead of the, the Pac-12. That was one thing. They got broadcast windows ahead of the Pac-12, which is huge. So wh- whatever the Pac-12 gets, it's going to be going uh, head-to-head in, let's assume they get SMU in there. Uh, SMU gives them a chance to be in the noon Eastern window, kickoff every Saturday, uh, or potential to be some games at noon. They're going to be going head-to-head at noon, 3.30, prime time, and 10.30, um, if, you know, maybe perhaps 10.30 against Giants. SEC, Notre Dame, um, Big Ten, uh, Big 12, who now, I'm I'm not calling the Big 12 a Giant by any means, but they have a deal, and they've got broadcast windows, and that's a good place to start. And none of them, except for the seven games, the Big Ten that are on streaming on Paramount every every or I think that was annually annually none of them are on streaming. Dennis, uh, you have to kind of imagine Scotty and I's situation and just the state of Utah's situation. It is an absolute panic in this state, and it's crazy because you got BYU who got into the Big Twelve and. Now they get a chance to jab Utah, who jabbed them while they were independent, and they got into the Pac-12. Yeah. And now the now BYU is with the Big 12, and they're saying, well, the Big 12 doesn't want you, and Utah fans are ticked off at BYU fans for being petty and vindictive, and it is an absolute crap show here in the state of Utah trying to figure this out. And then you've got some of the type, top insiders that are starting to report, oh, Ion's Sp- Ion TV is yeah. in on this deal. And and then another one that comes out says, Ion was never a part of this. And it was, no, Ion was a part of this. Where do you stand right now, Dennis, in regards to Ion being potentially a partner and Apple TV being the potential partner of the Pac-12? I, yeah, I have no intelligence on Ion. I just don't. So I'm not, I'm not going to get in that stat. 
Um, <laughs> I, I think just to, no, I mean, I just think the, the perception that they're in the mix is damaging enough. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, you know, whether, whether, you know, vetting it or not, uh, Apple TV is a possibility. Um, you know, I, and I don't know this for sure. I think Apple's business model is that they'd want most, if not all of Pac-12. They did uh, the MLS. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, which started their 10 year deal started this week where everything's on streaming and the MLS can then sub-license games to networks. There's a big game. Yeah. ESPN might buy it or Fox, but you don't get any extra money for that. Or if you do, it's very little. So if they're thinking of that, that's not really a play uh, that's going to get them more money Uh, and start with the exposure because until streaming hits, everybody in the industry agrees we're going to be, that's how we're going to be consuming sports in the future. Uh, but it hasn't yet. And I, I know coaches and ADs, I did a story this week, kind of asking uh, old-time Pac-12 coaches about this, uh, you know, about the league. And part of it was, how do you recruit when your games aren't seen? At least by the masses. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um and Rick Neuheisel said, you'd have to explain to every household you went into. Look, a, a lot of people have streamed, but ask them how they consume the streaming. I, I don't know about you guys, but when I want to watch Netflix, I got to get out a linear cable. I got to go to the app. I got to wait for it to load, hope it doesn't buffer, and then put it on. Aren't, aren't most fans used to channel surfing? Yep. Boom, yep. boom, boom, boom. Yep, exactly. And that's assuming, that's assuming that Apple TV makes those games available in bars, um, which I think was the key to the NFL deal on Amazon Prime because the NFL made them do it. They had the leverage to say, you, got, you have to make this available in bars and in the, in the local markets. I live in Kansas City, and so when the Chiefs played, I think, twice on the Thursday night game, I was sitting there going, well, how, how are we going to watch the game? We don't, we don't subscribe to it. Well, it, it was made available on local broadcasts local linear broadcast, that ain't going to happen with the Pac-12. In a league that has gone through just a, just a terrible time they've had with the Pac-12 network and distribution. So it's, it's everything. I mean, it's look, even if they have a deal, there's going to be problems. So I don't know. I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to be the wet blanket here, but what's worst-case scenario for the Pac-12? How does... It, it, the doomsday nuclear winter. What's the what's the it kind of walk us through the scenario that would be the worst case scenario for the existence of the Pac-12? Well, let's go back. The best case scenario is the ten stay together and sign a deal. Um, probably a little weaker than that is if they sign, they get SMU and uh, San Diego State because. I guess they're additive to the deal. I don't know how in terms of revenue, but that's being talked about. Uh, I guess an in-between, well, the worst case is if they break. Well, no. Uh, then the next level to that is they lose schools, whether it's two or four or how many, and they have to fill in with Boise, Fresno, uh, San Diego State, SMU. It's just not the same league. Mm-hmm. Um the worst case scenario is breaking apart because I guess in that situation I just mentioned, you still call it the Pac-12. You still have 
Washington State, Oregon State, maybe Cal and Stanford, maybe not, but it just wouldn't be the same. Um, or or do they all scatter the four wins? Does the Big Ten take all four? Oregon, Washington, Cal, and Stanford. Um, and the Big 12 take four. Well, that would only lead to, and that would be effectively the end. Dennis, when you put out the piece on San Diego State, what was the reception of that from the kind of the Pac-12 world? Not really from the Pac-12, just that um, I think from my perspective, it was that they were, everybody I talked to down there had assumed this was a done deal. And maybe it was just, maybe it was just optimism, you know, because they'd been through this before. Uh, San Diego stayed up. I think the best way to put it is their fans always hoped. You know, maybe they didn't think they belonged in the pack well, but they hoped. Well, now things have changed. There, there's, there's a donut hole in Southern California. San Diego State is the biggest and best program to that. And so, yeah, it, it, it makes sense. Um, I, I had already known that George Klyavkov had been there, had toured the facilities, and they're great, at least football. Um, the basketball is one of the pits. I mean that positively, not negatively. It's a pit to play in for opponents. Uh, and they've been successful, I think, in the tournament 10 of the last 13 years. I have to tell you about Steve Fisher and what Dan Dutcher's done. So, um, no, I, I, it wasn't so much a reaction from the Pac-12. It was more that we can't wait. Those people down there, we can't wait. We think we belong. So that's what I'm sort of kind of trying to portray. Well, Dennis, we appreciate a great insight as always. This sucker just continues to evolve. It's a little mini soap opera going on in the sports world, and uh, I think we're all looking forward to seeing how this thing resolves. Yeah, you guys gave me a great um, – I hadn't even thought of Utah and BYU reunited. Yeah. Um, I've yeah. been busy with so much other stuff. Can you imagine them back in a conference again? Oh, it would be wild. Cool. Yeah. It would be wild. Oh. Yeah. I'm not going to lie, Dennis. One of the, uh, best, one of the best – yeah, one of the best – not under the radar, but one of the best rivalries out there. Yeah. Um, well, these last... Know, can you imagine that? Yeah. These last couple of months have been a sports radio dream. Let's just say that, Dennis, because uh, yeah. got a lot of angry fan bases that aren't happy with each other right now. Well, real, real quick, last week I, I went and found the highest, the highest rated games in the Pac-12 the last two years without USC and UCLA, the upshot being that Burke Magnus, the programming executive for ESPN last year, said, you know, it, it made a big mark, but he said, you know, we don't look at markets as much as we look at rivalries. So if you're sitting, you know, in terms of realignment, uh, so if you're sitting there, you got, you know, Utah BYU mm. to go into that. It might be the best rivalry in, in the Big 12. Mm. It'd be it would, big. It'd have to be. It'd yeah. be big. More Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. KUK State, eh, K-State rules in football, but my goodness, that'd be great. Yeah, it would, for sure. Dennis, thanks so much. You're the best, Dennis. All right, thanks, guys. Dennis Dodd right here on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. You follow him on Twitter, at Dennis Dodd CBS, National College Football Writer, of course, for CBS uh, and CBS HQ, uh, CBSSportsHQ.com. All right, uh, coming up next, what you may have missed straight ahead, 97.5, the EKSL Sports Zone. 
This is Jake Scott and Ben Anderson. Jazz guard Frank Jackson. What specifically uh, does it highlight with your game? When when you get that opportunity to go out there and, and make it happen, what fits so well with this Jazz team? I think, you know, just my last little spin in the league, it's allowed me to understand the ins and outs of the game and feel like, you know, on any team I could compliment, you know, any player who's currently on that roster just by understanding the spacing and, you know, just the nuance of the game and, and how it constantly creating uh, new ways to exist uh, for yourself. So, honestly, with the experience I have the uh, last couple of years and, you know, what I can do and what I bring to the table, I have a lot of confidence in, you know, any situation I'm put in. Here, Jake Scott and Ben Anderson every day from 10 to noon on 97.5 The KSL Sports Zone. About 10 minutes away from hearing from our good friend Kurt Heeland right here on 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Hans Olsen, Scott Gerard, hope you're all well. Time for another edition of What You May Have Missed. And Hans, I thought it was interesting. You've got, uh, I did not know about this, but Gonzaga is actually playing a basketball game tonight. Their regular season um, West Coast Conference play is over, but they've got a game scheduled against Chicago State coming up tonight. A game that they'll win and win fairly easily, I'm sure. But uh, kind of an interesting scheduling uh, addition by Gonzaga, realizing that they're not going to play again until Monday. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to go a full eight or nine days without playing. And so they scheduled kind of a gimme tune-up game just to stay warm before they play their semifinal game coming up on Monday. That was kind of weird. I was going through trying to figure out all the West Coast Conference tournament brackets and matchups and i saw that gonzaga chicago state thinking what wait why would they be playing today i thought it was potentially the first round but first round starts tomorrow but that'll be interesting and then as you mentioned this runs all the way through the weekend and into monday yeah so yeah i think byu doesn't play till friday but the first round thursday then you've got um uh, another round on uh, Friday, then Saturday, and then Monday, Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday for the championship in the West Coast Conference Tournament. And then Utah will be wrapping up their season coming up this Friday. Um, they'll be playing Colorado. Oh, oh, okay. Sorry. I thought. Or is it Saturday? I'm, no, I misheard you there. When you said that they'd be wrapping. I thought you were still talking about BYU wrapping up their season. You're talking about Utah wrapping up their season. Yeah, Utah wrapping up their season. I thought season you were just again. assuming that BYU was going to lose their, their oh. first game of the Jeez, man. <laughs> Sorry, no. I misheard you. That's my bad. Utah's wrapping up their game on Saturday, I believe. I love it, man. These next couple of weeks, next yeah, three Saturday. weeks, you got conference tournaments beginning now. Conference tournaments really getting underway next week, and then the NCAA tournament the week after that. And we will have... Uh, the bracket contest um, will be available for you coming up, and you have a chance to uh, to uh, win all kinds of great prizes on the website. Uh, when the bracket's released, log on to kslsports.com, fill out your bracket, and off you go. It's that simple. What time is your call tonight? Um, late one, 9 o'clock, 9 p.m., 8.30 pregame. What is, what's Utah State looking at? Uh, UNLV is a, um, again, record-wise, not a particularly great team. Um, but a team that is certainly good at home, they force a ton of turnovers. High, up-tempo, 
They force a bunch of turnovers. They just create all kinds of havoc. If you're not fundamentally sound, uh, they will get you. In Logan, Utah State won by four. I think it was 75-71, but UNLV forced 21 turnovers in that game, got 27 points off of those 21 turnovers. And uh, and Utah State shot the ball well. They're not good defensively. Aggies should be able to score a bunch of points in this game. But if you turn the ball over and you allow UNLV to hang in there in front of their home crowd, it could it could be a problem for sure. So it should be a fun game. Seen some bracketology with Utah State. Seems like they're the first four out typically. Yep, seeming that way. They've got to win. Uh, they got to beat UNLV, and then they've got a huge game coming up on Saturday. Uh, that game's uh, sold out. Um, but um, if they can beat UNLV tonight, beat Boise State, and then win a game or two in the uh, Mountain West Conference tournament next week, I think that uh, they've got a really good chance of getting in. But they're they're going to need to stack a couple more signature wins to be able to do it. Looks like UVU might be the sole representative in the state then. They might. Got to go win that tournament, which they should do. Yeah, that's the problem is when you have a great – and that's why I hate stuff like that for teams like UVU. You know, when you're in those conferences, you could have a phenomenal regular season. I mean phenomenal, like UVU has had. But one little slip-up in a conference tournament and boom, you're out. You don't get to play in the tournament. That, That always bums me out. I hate that. All right, Hans and Scotty, the great Kurt Heelan, will join us next, 97.5, the KSL Sports Zone. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.